Well, there's a South Florida columnist who has observed that our world is made up of um, all kinds of people. And I hope maybe as we as I read some of these things, you might put yourself in one or the other. He kind of gives us this list and he says, for instance, um, there are dog people and there are cat people. How many are dog people? How many are cat people? How many are dog and cat people? Okay, we got some of them. There are swimming pool people and there are beach people. There are morning people and there are evening people. There are coffee people and there are tea people. There are ice capade people and then there are hockey people. There are country club people and there are YMCA people. There are tennis people and golf people. In fact, he says golf people tend to have big bellies and walk around like cowboys on the fairways. Well, tennis people wear lots of jewelry, eat brie and kiwi. <laughs> there are breakfast people and people who can't quite remember what breakfast is. There are people with paper and pencil by the phone, and then there are people with kids. There are sailboat people and there are powerboat people. There are Lady Gaga people, and then there are all the rest of us. <clears throat> The list continues, but I I think you get the drift of the idea that there's all kinds of people and sometimes we get separated on on our different interests. There's really a kaleidoscope of a variety of interests. We have different values and different idiosyncrasies. So many unique and colorful kinds of people. Yet all people, as strange as it may seem and as strangely familiar as we are with it, have one kind of interest that's similar. Think about it. There is an interest that binds us all in one sense together. It's called self-interest. But it's the very interest that breaks us all apart. Self-interest is the one interest that binds, I think, a variety of people together. It's the one interest that unifies us really as a human race. It's the kind of interest that makes four-way stops really interesting, right? You know, me first. No, no, me first. And it's kind of... It's the kind of interest that as you leave like a a Viking game, everyone is trying to what? Jockey for position. Or how many have ridden down 394 and you come to 94 just past Penn? It's the kind of, you know, situations that reveal all this self-interest. You maybe have experienced it in the family at times causing a, a, a World War III kind of reaction when there's only one piece of grandma's pie left. It's that kind of interest that when you are in an airport and some of you fly from time to time and they say um, it's time to board the plane, what happens? It shows no sympathy. It has only one loyalty. It is me, mine, and my interest. It's a self-centered self-interest that takes, I think, a tremendous toll on our quality of life. It's that same self-interest that actually destroys and creates difficulty and creates all the rubs that take place in our marriage relationships. It's that self-interest that begins to cause a divide even within our family and our children. It's that self-interest that shows up in our friendships. It shows up at work as people jockey and vie for positions to get ahead and to get what they want. It's that self-interest that works within even a church that's supposed to be for others' interest. It just shows up everywhere. 
Every activity, every decision, every opportunity, and really every commitment is tainted and in some sense judged by what I would call a me-first mindset. Think about it. The standard of measure becomes when those choices, activities, or opportunities come with this measure. And we've all done it. What's in it for me? Will I receive any pleasure from this? Is it worth my time? Will it increase my net worth? Will it forward my concerns? Will it make me look good? I believe we've grown up in a culture, and I think due to our collective wealth, more so than any other culture in this world, throughout modern history, the culture that we live within, especially here in America, breeds what I call a narcissistic me-first lifestyle. And because we swim and we eat and we breathe this cultural air all around us, the me-first mindset has a greater grip on all of us than I think we care to admit. It has a great grip on my heart, and I'm sure it does on yours. Jesus came to expose this, what I call, destructive, self-centered drive found in every man, woman, and child. Jesus lived it and breathed a different kind of culture. He brought this kingdom of heaven, which was a new way to begin to live from within yourself out towards others. If you look at Matthew 16, which is where we are at, we get to verse 21, but before we got there, verses 1, as we started back at Easter, it's really kind of a new section. What happens in that passage of Scripture, Jesus has come from feeding 4,000. He lands on the shore, and as he comes to the shore, there's these religious authorities, Pharisees and Sadducees. They weren't the local ones. They were the ones from Jerusalem. These were the ones coming and say, show us your license to be the Messiah. They sow. It's the church of the day. This was the church of Jesus' day. It would be the evangelical church of his day, if you want to put it that way. Standing before him, blind to the movement of the Holy Spirit within him, Jesus has to look at them and say, you can see the signs changing in the physical realm. How come you can't see with your eyes of your heart the move of God's Spirit in me and in this life? And I just stopped there to say, folks, this is so critically important in the church around the U.S. today. We need a fresh move of the Spirit of God. We need to have our eyes open. We can either in pride stand against it and, 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 and move against it, or we can I'll say, God, help us to see. In this situation, in this place, these willfully chose to remain blind to the very acts and works of God. And it says, a very marked thing in the Greek, that he left, he departed. He left that shore, but he wasn't just leaving that shore. He was leaving this group of people who had chosen to remain blind to the move of the Holy Spirit in their midst. Gets on a boat, so disturbed, I believe, by what he has just experienced. The church, the people he had been... had for years through the Old Testament, you see the whole story, coming to, are rejecting the Spirit of God. He's in the boat and he's, I think he's just wrestling with his thoughts and he looks over at his followers, the disciples, and he says to these guys, guys, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and they're still blind. They don't quite get it. They want to. 
And he has to help them see it and understand it. And this whole passage of Scripture is a new kind of section that, that, that Matthew is showing us in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's, it's what I call living with spiritual insight. So these guys, he helps them see. And people who want to see and invite the Spirit of God and Jesus in their life, he will open the eyes of your heart if you're open and humble and willing and broken to see. And as he begins to move in their hearts and they move across the shores, he takes them all the way onto another shore, brings them to Caesarea Philippi on the base of a mountain and on the base of this mountain he looks at them he's looking for spiritual insight and he says to them who am i because this is the key question if we are going to see with the eyes of the spirit and that is the question who is this messiah do we know this jesus are we open to seeing in jesus all the life of the father and if we're open to that as our hearts humble enough that he as he promises will deposit his holy spirit in us and by giving us his spirit we will humble our lives to be open to what god has to say through his word and through the community of believers and we will see what god is doing and so you get to this passage of scripture and verse 21 is very interesting because there's a, there's, it's important for us to realize that Matthew is marking the ministry of Jesus with some, some certain words. And so in verse 21, he says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples. He said, Now I want you, as he pulls away, and he says, I'm done trying to prove to the church or the religious authorities of his day that would not believe, would not see, would not move into it. They were fat and happy doing their own thing. He moves away from them. He actually moves away now from the crowd. And he begins to take the followers who want to see, and he says, I want you to live with a spiritual insight. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 17 in Matthew, you see the same words. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. See, in 417, it's, it's the same marking out. It's Jesus is beginning his public ministry. And his message was, it's summed up to, he, he called people repentance for the kingdom. The rule of God is present. Now, after he has presented all this, he says in verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to anybody who wants to, any person here, who says, God, I want to know this life with you more than anything else. I want to live in your presence and see you move in me. He says, I'll give you spiritual insight. And so he goes on and he says, here's this spiritual insight you need to see. Now you know who I am. Now you need to understand the way that I live. You need to understand the way, what it means to live in the Father's sight and with the Father's direction so that as your life is lived out, you will, you will be all that the Father has sent you to be in your life. And in doing so, you will open up great opportunities for other people. And Jesus says, my life is a model of even what your life can be. But he says, mine in particular is this. I must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter, he has just had this incredibly profound insight into who Jesus is. And though he understands who Jesus is, he's a lot like us. Understanding how the way of Jesus is. In fact, in the book of Acts, the first designation for those who are followers of Jesus are called people of the way. The the people who follow the way of Jesus. So he gets who Jesus is, but now he can't and he doesn't get the way. So Peter, it says, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. 
And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have the mind in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Well, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In these verses of Jesus, he teaches about his impending death. He reveals to them the spiritual insight of the way that he, the Messiah, is to live and how he lives his life in a way that he calls all of us to live. And you're going to find as we look at this passage, he talks about this self-interest, which I call a me-first mindset, which I believe controls the heart of every natural person. And the whole process of when you invite the Spirit in so you can begin to see and live in the Spirit is this whole process of what Jesus was showing us is moving from a me-first mindset to a father-first mindset. That's That's the transition that takes place, and we'll see that in this passage. So first, some things about a me-first mindset that Jesus, I think, makes clear. And the very first thing is a me-first mindset is a lie. It never provides what you think it will provide. It never provides what your heart truly wants. And it never allows you to be all that God has truly created you to be. When you buy into this lie that somehow through self-absorption or self-indulgence or self-manipulation or in some other way that you can through force or through pressure, through popularity, through wealth or whatever it is that you seek through your life to get what you want where you put me first. Deep down, it will never provide the things that your heart most longs for. It, It will not provide deep relational connection with God. It does not provide the kind of intimacy that you want with with the people you love most. That me first mindset that we use, that we live with, that we follow, that is really rather natural, which is what the flesh is. The word flesh in the scripture merely means that which comes natural. Often when it's used in scripture, it's used in the context of not just the human flesh, but the flesh that does that which is natural. And Jesus says that when you open your heart to him and you you invite him to become the one to lead in your life and you begin to say for the very first time, I I, I recognize my sin, I need you, and in humility I invite you to begin to move into my life, you then move into what is a father-first kind of mindset disposition, but you still have to choose to move into it. And so, Jesus confronts the lie. The lie shouts, watch out for number one. The lie is assert yourself to get what you need. The lie is to protect yourself so that you won't be harmed and hurt. And I want to say there are times, and I want to make it very clear, if you are in an abusive situation, there are some people never grow up with an understanding. The pattern of their life is such that you have been abused. You're not to take that. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the me first kind of thing. For you, what might be right, because your pattern is to really give way to someone, the the father first thing is to stand up for your heart and your life and your family or your children. But in this situation, he's saying the self-protective things that we use to get the things that we think we need, it will not provide. It is a lie. 
And so Jesus quietly takes his followers aside and he says, you know, after he's been seen as the Messiah, he says, I will reach. This is the way you could read it this way. I will reach my fullest potential and set you free to reach your fullest potential, not through grabbing the power of this world, which you think I've come to do, not by riding on this wave of popularity that you see around us, and not by forcing people to their needs through my majesty and my my miracles and my charisma and my strength, I have come to show you a way that's different. It's not a me-first way. It really is a way of sacrificial love. And through that sacrificial love, you give way to the Father, and the Father begins to do things into you, in you and through you that allow for you to become all that God intends you to be. And so he says to him, I must go to Jerusalem, I must suffer, I must be killed, and then I love this. And then watch, he says, on the third day I'll be raised to life. He says, when you actually move towards this path, there is something beyond all the pain and suffering and all the things you give up. He says, on the third day I will be raised to life. When Hebrews it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We look for something yet to come as we move into this kind of life. So Peter's reaction is really interesting. He takes Jesus aside, and, and think about it, he rebukes Jesus. Now, you've got to imagine, here is Peter rebuking the guy who has rebuked the wind and the wave, and it's still. He's rebuked sicknesses, and it's fled. He's rebuked demons, and they shut up, and they're cast out. And here's Peter doing what I think we do sometimes to God. And when God comes into our life and we're seeking to, you might be struggling with something right now and you have a choice to either through your flesh move to the me first mindset or the father first and you go, but God, I, but if I do it this way, I'm not going to get what I want. And you, in a sense, come and you rebuke him. This isn't the right way. Peter had basically bought in the age old lie that says, Jesus, come on. Enough with this nonsense. Can you imagine? No more, Jesus, of this negative thinking. You know what? This denial and suffering stuff you start talking about, all this sacrifice stuff, you'll never reach what the Old Testament says the Messiah is to be if you go that way. And the lie is always that force and power and self-protection will get you to the top. And here's something you need to know. If you use your natural gifts often in many ways, and I'm not saying the using of your natural gifts are wrong, but you know what? If you live a me-first life, it's very possible, as Jesus said, you will get to the top of the executive ladder of success. It's really possible that you will gain lots of wealth and lots of toys and lots of fun things. It will be possible that you might keep that relationship you want so badly because you're afraid to stand up to the truth of what's going on. It will be that if you pull that me first mindset, that mindset will get you those things. But in the process, you're going to forfeit the very work he wants to do in your soul. The stuff that he needs to do to build the character, the the, the, the values of God within you, the fruits of the Spirit that grow by the Holy Spirit, when you begin to to allow God to do that, then he begins to change the very landscape of your heart so that he can actually change the landscape out there. But if you choose the lie, you'll get a whole lot of stuff out here, but nothing that he says in here. You'll actually forfeit the soul. And folks, this is really important. Not just for this moment, and not just for this life. Our Life before God as we move from this me-first mindset to this father-first mindset is all about what he's doing in our life in this time period for what he wants to do for the future. What gets created here, in some way the Word of God says, is established there. And so, 
You have this me first mindset. It's a lie. It comes from Satan. Verse 23. Jesus makes it crystal clear. He turns to Peter. And look at this. He looks Peter in the eye. And he addresses Satan. That's a, that's a pretty phenomenal little word right here. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Now, I think at this point it kind of transfers back to not just now. He's talking to Peter, looking at and saying, Get behind me, Satan. And now he says, you are a stumbling block to me. He's talking both to Satan. I think at this point he's talking also to Peter. Peter, when you choose the things that are not of God, and you're in the human concerns and the fleshly things and the mind of, the mind of man naturally, you are also a stumbling block to those around me. You know what? It is that important. When you come to those places and you live out a me-centered uh, mindset and you move into that, guess what? You are actually a stumbling block to other people. And so he says... You don't have, the, uh, have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And really, when we think about it, he's pretty clear. He says, you know, there are really, there's really one will in the world. It's the will of God. The other one is the will of Satan. So either we are choosing one or the other. And in this sense, he says, when you choose the me first mindset, when you live in the natural way of the flesh, you are actually choosing the kind of actions that allow the work of Satan to take place. There is a good and an evil, and there isn't, he says, in a sense, an in-between. Our thoughts, our actions, our motivations come from one or two places. In fact, one commentator said it this way, to oppose the will of God is to be the ancient agent of Satan. And he's basically saying, you know what, Peter, you have been called because of the Spirit in you to a greater, more supernatural, not natural, Way to live. You know, it bothers me sometimes when I, when I read accounts in the paper or you read scientific studies and you say, well, because this is the way it's happening naturally among the animals, then that's reason for why we act this way. Well, it may be why we act this way, but we've never been called to be animals. We've been called to be people filled with God's Spirit to move to a place that's supernaturally above that. We can choose to be guided by a me-first mindset. There's another thing he talks about, I think, is a me-first mindset often is, is really reactionary. There are people, and, and we, we, we know that you can choose to live a me-first mindset. And you may be in that place today, saying, you know what? This God stuff, the stuff of following Jesus, you know, I, that's not where I'm at in my life today. I'm, I'm going to go after what I think is right. But a lot of us, if you have come to a place and you've, you've opened your heart and you, you've, in humility, um, recognize your need of God, and you've opened your life so that His Spirit begins to come into your life, you'll find that um, you don't naturally become good. Anybody here? And, and when you find that you don't naturally become good, you find that you have a Holy Spirit within you that begins to prompt you to act in a way that's different than the way that you would might normally do so. But what happens is we are reactionary because the things that have been set in place get etched into our actual brain. There's pathways that are, that are formed. And through those pathways, when things happen and something happens, we get angry and we, 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 we move to rage. Or, or if something happens, we become self-protective. Or when something happens, we don't stand up and, and say no to something. When we we know we should. We don't speak the truth to someone because we're afraid they're going to get angry at us. And all these things happen. But the Spirit of God is to rise up in us. And we, the only way, folks, the only way you can really grow in maturity in this relationship where you begin to lose this me-first mindset and move into what I call a father-first sense of disposition and move in that direction is to recognize that you have wounds that sometimes set things in place 
that you have unresolved conflicts at some point in your life, that you have some unmet needs. And when you, when you do the hard work of trying to understand what's going on there, God will give you freedom to begin to act in ways that are different. But folks, that is not easy work. And a lot of people like to go, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. Now, once, you know, you, you don't need to understand what it is. Yes, you do need to have some understanding. If there's, if there's been a hurt that's been done to you that you haven't moved back to and understood and sought forgiveness on and begin to understand what it's caused, the pattern that has happened in your life, this is the messy work of really letting God get deep into the fabric of your soul so that your soul can be changed so that now when something happens and, 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 and there's, a, there's something in life that's, that's pressing against you, what comes out of you is sacrificial love. What begins to happen is the opportunity to begin to say, no, I don't have to, do, to react that way. I can now begin to act in the power of the Spirit. But we all have this idea that, you know, once you, once you say Jesus come into life, all of a sudden naturally, all of a sudden you start having these new actions. Well, sometimes it's wonderful because God gives us that. But some of the work of really growing up and getting the character of Christ means that you have to get real with what's going on. And when you see yourself reacting in a certain way again and again, the me first mindset comes out again and again. You have to go say, God, I need help. I need you to help me understand what's happening here. So because I don't want to live that way. In Peter, you know, it looks like he's really concerned about Jesus here. But if you really drill down hard and look at what Peter's doing, his intense reaction, which seems like he's protecting Jesus and his Messiahship, is really deep down a reaction that says, Man, I gave up everything for you. I thought I was pinning my, my star to your, you know, to you, to you, the star, the rising star, and I thought you'd be the Messiah. Come on, you can't do this. Deep down, that's what's going on. That's how deep. And latent, the motivations and drives of our hearts are when it comes to a me-first mindset. But Jesus has the ability to set us free through his death on the cross. And then he gives us the opportunity through this life with the Spirit to move into these kind of um, realities where there's opportunities and possibilities to move into this life that is a father-first life. So if you look at it, you look at verse 24 through 28. And he kind of now says, this is how all this happens. You want to understand the me first mindset. It's a lie. It comes from Satan. And it's often so deep, it's reactionary that you need to understand it and get real about it. Now he goes into these next verses. And he introduces another way to live. A new way to set your mind. Calling us out of a me first mindset into what I call a father first mindset. And I have to share with you, the first thing is, is, is important that we look at this, is it's all about disciplined trust. It's all about what I was talking about, that hard work of letting the Spirit of God begin to take the truth of God and apply it to our life. It's getting real with other people and, and, and not living in secret or not living in shame. It's getting real what's going on in our life and, and beginning to say, God, help me understand so that I can move out of this and not be in this any longer. And the first is this, a father-first mindset or disposition requires what I call disciplined trust. The path to your true self, the character of Christ, the learning how to show up and really grow up in your life, which is two words that I use a lot now in my life. Show up, be present with what's really in me. Don't let the shame cause me to hide. And now grow up. Take responsibility and understand what's going on and move into the things of God. If you've hurt someone, admit it, get right, and make sure a relationship happens, and then understand how it's happened and try and allow God to begin to change it. It's that, it's that simple. And so the path, is, he says, is to show up and grow up in life is through denial, delayed gratification, and death. 
Isn't that great? How many love that? Sign up for that. Oh, really? Denial? I love that one. Delayed gratification? You mean, you know, like this financial peace university we're talking about where he talks about delaying some of the things you want not? You mean, really? I mean, death? To self? Me first? Then I'm going to always be last. And the last will be what? All these things require discipline trust to follow Jesus even when your very flesh is crying out to be fed. I know that experience, folks. I know being on my knees thinking, God, if I'm never going to get what I want, but I'm going to stay in this, whatever the commitment or whatever this might be. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to walk this out because I'm going to put you first, not what I want. Even when I think I will die if this need isn't met in my way and my time, I'm going to put the Father first. And sacrificially love. Even when I think I deserve to get back at that person for what they did to me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put the Father first and understand what's going on. Even when I have the right to put someone down publicly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the Father first and act in meekness. Even when I've been offended and, and that person doesn't deserve the second chance, I'm going to learn to say, Father, I'm going to come to this person, offer forgiveness, but I'm also going to understand what are some things going on so that some boundaries can put up because this person also might need to change. Even when I'm afraid to speak up because I think that person in my relationship will be angry at me and I'm I'm fearing their abandonment emotionally, I'm still going to stand up and do what the Father says first, and that's to show up so that I can grow up and we can grow up as people. And on and on, every impulse of the flesh is met with this disciplined trust that denies, that delays gratification, and that puts the death to the self so that the real life of God can show up in you and in your relationships. Verse 27 and 28 are important because Jesus helps us with this whole idea of disciplining ourselves and denying ourselves and delaying gratification and dying to ourselves because he wants people to know, just like in his life, you'll be raised on the third day. Also in, in this life, verse 27, he wants you to know that Jesus, God the Father, his Father will reward you. In fact, it's an allusion to Psalm 62, verses 11 and 12, which says, One thing God has spoken, He's revealed. Two things I have heard. So God reveals something, which is one word, but in it He hears two things. And the two things He hears is that you, God, are strong. You're so incredibly powerful. I can trust the fact that that there is nothing, no will, no anything stronger than you. And the other thing is that you are loving. That you care for me so much. So this powerfully great, incredible God loves me beyond what I could believe. Even in my sin and my me first mindset, he gives me the opportunity to have a spirit so the father can begin to flow in me. And then I can begin to live a father first mindset. And then he says in this, surely understand you will reward each person according to what he or she has done. Jesus says the same thing in verse 27. There is a judgment day, and he's not talking here about vindication, and he's talking about a loving and powerful father saying to you at some point, well done, my son, well done, my daughter. Guess what? Because of this, this is what you receive. And then he goes on in verse 28 and makes it even a little bit more. He says, in fact, some of you are going to actually, as a result of your denial and delaying gratification and this death to yourself, as you begin to live this father first life, this disposition begins to show up in you because you're doing the hard work of letting God heal the wounds in your life and and begin to resolve the conflicts that have been there and begin to meet the needs with his spirit, not in the ways that you want to necessarily get him done. As you begin to live this life, some of you will be rewarded in this life. You will actually see what you've been denied will be given you. Some of you, he says, will actually see the Son of God coming in glory. 
Well, if you go on just a few verses, the next story you have is the transfiguration. Three of them saw after that experience, Jesus shine brightly to the point that they couldn't even look. 500 of them stand before Jesus on the resurrection, after the resurrection, and he shares with them, you've been given all authority, now go and do what I've been doing, live the life I've been living. And a number of them stand before Jesus and they actually see him ascend into the clouds of glory. I keep saying, God, in some of these areas I shared in the first service, I'll share here, there's been one central drive in my heart spiritually. And that is that God would so show up in me and move and show up in others that there would be this incredible move of God where he would move in a mighty way and he would see healings and miracles. And I'm not just talking about things just because they're fun, but that God's kingdom would come. Heaven, as we pray, his will in some way would be done here on earth just like it's done in heaven. Could that ever happen? And all I know is that my prayer, sometimes I go, God, may it happen in the land of the living while I'm alive. Would you be willing to do that? And it may not. It doesn't matter. I'm called to live this out. And you're called to live out what God's placed in your heart. And some of you, you need to know this, what you're denying yourself, what you're dying to yourself in. We as a body, when we come together and we deny ourselves to follow the Spirit of God and the leadership here that's present, that's leading us by the Spirit of God, and we deny and we come together and we delay that gratification and we die to the self, guess what? You might see the reward. You might actually taste and experience God in a way you didn't think you could. And so... He says, a father-first mindset um, is discipline trust. A father-first mindset is a daily struggle. No one gets it. No one immediately is made perfect. This whole idea that when you accept Jesus, now everything's rosy and good. This whole idea that, that has pervaded the church, it's an emphasis, but an overemphasis in the wrong direction. That if I, if I accept Jesus as my Savior, someday I'll go to heaven. So now life, you just kind of... Kind of get on with things, hopefully, so someday you get to heaven. Oh, we all sing about heaven. Heaven can come into your life today. You need to understand that when Jesus said, follow me to his disciples, he was saying, follow me from this day forward. And every day as you apply the Father first mindset, you will begin to bring heaven, an atmosphere of heaven into your life in such a way that when you actually die, it's like falling asleep and being woken up into this realm that you're already living in. The church doesn't have a vision of that. And God's giving us that. This is not, this is so bigger than, than us and me. This is the work of God among us. He wants to. He's longing for us to long to see heaven descend to earth in this place. And I promise you, as that happens, it will change this community. It will impact this world in ways that we will get to heaven someday and we will stand before our Father and He will say, I am so thrilled. Your reward for what you have done. Not because you're looking for a reward, but because you chose to say, I'm dying to that me first mindset. I'm moving to the Father first mindset. And it is a struggle because 
Peter stands before Jesus after he has made this great confession. Now he makes this great blunder. We will live that way. We will confess greatly and we will express our life greatly and then we will make these blunders. But the whole walk with God is in grace that says, God, I blew it and now I come before you again and I ask you to begin through the grace of your presence. Make me the person that becomes more fully filled with the great confession than my great blunders. And he will do that. And a father first disposition begins. It begins with a deliberate decision. No one slides into this. No church just kind of happens upon it. You don't pick it up by osmosis like if you're standing in a garage thinking that if you stand there long enough you'll become a car. You don't think that because I'm coming to church, wherever it may be, somehow this will happen. It is not an accidental thing. It is your individual choice and our collective choice. It is a deliberate decision that says we will not live by a me-first mindset, but we will live with all integrity, with all fullness of our heart, with a longing for a vision of God that is a father-first disposition in all we do. And it's a decision. Peter, at some point, was called and made a decision, and he followed there is some point, possibly in your life, right now as I'm speaking, that, that you know you have been living and struggling with a me-first mindset. And it may cause shame. The first thing you may need to do is just tell someone about it, because shame loves to hide in darkness. Some of you are in a situation where you've been struggling with a me-first mindset in maybe your marriage, and it's time that you say, I need to get in. I need to get into some counseling. I need to understand what continues to set this up, because God doesn't want you to live in that kind of um, misery. He has called you to a life beyond. I, whatever it is, as you're praying about it, as God's speaking to you, if he's speaking to you, today is the day of decision he's saying in this area of your life, The Father is to be first. I've had the joy in the last um, number of months where people have come into my office who have been attending the church and they've come in and they've shared with me what's going on in their life. And in in some cases, some have not ever been a part of a church, don't even understand how a church operates. Some have been a part of some churches but never really got it. And they've sat there and I've just shared with them you know, what's going on in their life. And then I've I've just basically said, have you ever opened your life to Jesus? Have you ever made a decision to put the Father first and to recognize that you need Him, that you've blown it, and that that you understand that, and then you just receive His forgiveness by what He's done on the cross. And as you choose to say, Jesus, come into my life, He put your Holy Spirit in you, and now you can begin to walk with Him. I've had this opportunity now on three or so different occasions, and it amazes me because... It seems too easy. And I say that because God's at work in the hearts of people. Open your eyes. There are people around you that are, that are in a place where they're struggling with a me-first mindset and they don't know how to get out of it. But you may have an answer for them. And it may not be that you've got to go through the four laws. or It may mean that you just connect with their heart and you go, boy, I'll pray for you. As simple as that. I'm going to ask us just to bow our heads. Father, I pray in this moment, in this walk of discipline, trust, this daily struggle, 
I pray there will be decisions made right at this moment. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you about something that you know needs the Father first, just in prayer, open your heart and say, God, do this work in me. Listen to the Spirit of God. He's in your heart. What's He telling you to do next? Listen to the Spirit of God. And then obey. If you're not sure, ask someone who loves Jesus and get their word around that. In a moment, we're going to pray. You may want to come forward and just have someone pray for you. Father, in this holy moment, we just as a church say, put within us a Father first mindset. Amen.